Come on down in the first four or five rows. I want to I wanna look in the whites of your eyes and not see any eyelids. <laughs> come on down. Come on down close. You know, uh, in, in Jerusalem... One of the rooms you get to see is what they think is the upper room. And it's not that big. And if there was 120 people in the upper room, they were not social distancing. Um, but the Bible says they were there in one accord. And there's something about us getting close. You know, and when we worship together, when you can hear the voices of your brothers and sisters praising God, you're not in your own little island, but you're in one accord praising God. There's an anointing there. There's, there's a power there. So we don't want to be uh, isolated. The devil comes to take those who are separated or isolated, who are on their own. We need to be together as one body. So I just encourage you, you know, to come come closer and... and uh, you know, sit next to somebody you don't know, say hello, introduce yourselves. It's an exciting time. Uh, and to those of you who are online, we, we welcome you also tonight. We encourage you to come closer too when you can come out on a Wednesday night. Uh, but uh, we understand that that's not always possible for you. So we're glad you're here anyway. All right. Well, there's another who came in with us who we can't see with our natural eyes, but we know he's here, and that is the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who's going to teach us tonight from his word uh, through my voice, hopefully. But let's pray about that, not only that I speak his word, but that we also hear his word and that we do his word. Because if we haven't heard it, we can't do it. And if we hear it in such a way that it doesn't move us, uh, then we aren't listening with our spiritual ears. And we can't do that kind of listening without the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So let's, let's pray. Father, we can do none of this in and of ourselves. But we have come to this sanctuary to worship you, to spend time in your presence, to hear your voice, to be led into all truth by your Spirit. Father, we've come anticipating, we've come hungry, we've come desiring to see you and to hear you and to watch you move in our midst. We long for you. There's no place we'd rather be but in your arms, hearing your heartbeat, your voice whispering in our ear, your encouragement, your correction, your direction, your motivation, whatever it is you have for us tonight. Help us to discipline the flesh, to cast off the tiredness, to, to embrace the, the burning and yearning within our spirit that drives us to become more like you. And Father, I pray that you would anoint the teaching of speak through me, and anoint all of our hearing. Open our ears to hear and our eyes to see all that you have for us tonight. 
And we give you thanks for all you want to do. We yield ourselves to you. This house and these bodies, they're yours tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Well, this is going to be uh, part three. (laughs) I won't share what my wife shared about that. Uh, But part three on raised with Christ. Part three. And uh, we are going to talk tonight more about what we started back in September. Let me get my Bible up in case I need to jump in there. Um, Which is called Raised with Christ. And we started this uh, study two two months ago on September 27th uh, deep into the book of Colossians. I'm sure none of you remember. I had to go back and look myself, and I taught it, so (laughs) it's okay. Uh, But we started in Colossians. We talked about the background of the letter, the power of the gospel, and how the gospel is enough all by itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how the believers in Colossae were being taught, okay, we, 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 we hear the gospel, but we also have this Judaism that we love, and or we believe in angels, or we have these other beliefs. And so they're trying to add to the gospel, and Paul's correcting that in this letter in the beginning. It's the, the power of the gospel. And then we talked at length about being circumcised in Christ. What does that mean? How it, removing the veil uh, uh, over your spirit man so that you can see the truth, the reality of who God is in the process of being born again. We picked up in part two in October uh, 25th, last month, uh, well, I guess two months now, it's December, um, how, how we, we have died with Christ and we really emphasize understanding that we're dead. Dead, 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 dead. Right? And our old nature is dead so that we can now be alive to, to, unto God. And uh, the scriptures that we talked about uh, in Colossians chapter 2, 20, for example, says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body, but... They're of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. And so what we emphasize, what the Spirit of God brought out in this is, look, you can, if we want to live holy, if we want to live like Christ, if we don't want to live carnally, um, the, the do's and don'ts that religion imposes on us aren't going to have that effect. The, the yeses and nos and do's and don'ts, the laws, the legalism, what religion starts off as is the right thing, then becomes legalism. It loses the spirit. no. It comes from living in Christ, in the Spirit. That's what allows us to behave like Christ, is living in Him. Which means we have to reckon ourselves dead to our old selves. So maybe this is starting to come back to you a little bit. So, so then, what, then what are we to do? And in Colossians chapter 3, we talked about in the last time, verses 5 through 10. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he lists these behaviors, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. 
in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off the circumcision, put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In verse 10, basically what we just read is the image of him who created him. We're to put that on. We are to be image bearers on the earth of God. We're to look like God, to appear like him to the rest of the world. We need to look differently because we've been circumcised with Christ, we've been buried with him, we've been raised with Christ, and so we should act like and look like Christ. You guys are looking at me like a, like a calf in a new gate, as Pastor Sam used to say. Are you, are you with me? This is what we should look like, right? This is how we should be. Um, and so often when you look at churchgoers, what you see is another club. People who come together because it feels good or because it seems like the right thing to do or their neighbors come or whatever it is. It's okay however you are drawn here, how you start. But it's where you finish that's important. We need to finish looking like Christ. So as I uh, thank you, Pastor Chris, for inviting me to, to share again tonight. And, and as I thought about uh, this message coming up, I thought more about a different topic. I was ready to go on to something else. I thought we'd kind of hammered this idea that we need to be dead to our old selves and live unto Christ. And if we can at least capture that image of ourselves, that would help us with our walk. But it just, I, I couldn't let go of it. It, it wrestled in my heart. I was like, this isn't quite settled for me. What does it mean to be dead? Let's look at our key scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is where we started in this message. If if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Verse 3 says, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so the more I thought about this, I thought, wait a minute. I don't feel dead. I'm still moving, talking, living. And didn't it say that when we came to Christ, we wouldn't die, but we'd be born, born again? We'd be living. What do you mean I died? What part died? What part of me died? Will I die? I know I'm going to die again and get a new body. But wait, the Bible talks about a second death. But that's not any of this. So my mind started to get pretty squirrely about what is he really trying to say about us dying to ourselves while on the earth? Where where are we in this whole process of living and dying? So this message is going to try to help trace the path of life and the sources of death throughout the cycle of man. And, and, and I'll say this right out front. If you're, if you're not yet a Christian, if you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you probably aren't going to understand this. Uh, so, so I encourage you uh, to, to ask Jesus, Jesus, be my Lord. Uh, Jesus, come into my life. I accept you as my Savior. I believe that that you died, and that you were raised 
from the dead. And I want to follow in your footsteps. Uh, and I want you to be my Savior. If you say that in a prayerful and, and faithful way, he will come into you and become your Lord. And he'll open up the scriptures to you, and this will start to make more sense. So I encourage you, uh, if you have not done that yet, to do so. I see most of you here, and I know most of you, or all of you have. And so we, as the body of Christ, should be able to not only understand the message that's coming tonight, but also embrace it and begin to walk in it. It should change our lives and the way we think about things because not only should we be hearers of the word but doers of the word and that word should permeate in our walk. So everything that we we do looks like God. We should be image bearers of God as I was saying earlier. So to give you a quick outline of where we're going and it's probably going to be a part four um, (laughs) which is great. God is awesome. He knows what he wants to get across. We're going to look at this flow of life and death. So it starts with this first part, and we'll do this tonight, the life of man, how God created us. right? And then we're going to look at the first death of man. Then we're going to look at the second death of man. Sounds exciting, huh? Uh, And then we're going to talk about what's sandwiched between those two, which is the death and resurrection of man in Christ while on the earth. And then we're going to see the resurrection of man with Christ when he lives forever. So, so it's, a, it's a, a convoluted roller coaster of life and death. And, and uh, Charles asked uh, Debbie to ask me, well, what, what would be the title tonight? And I said, well, it's going to be a Raised with Christ Part 3. I said, because it sounds a lot better than Died with Adam Part 1. <laughs> Maybe more easy would come out if we say Raised with Christ. So, 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 but the essence is still all about this being raised with Christ, and it's rooted in this study that we've gotten going in the book of Colossians. So, so you're with me? That's the pattern. That's where we're going to follow tonight, and we're going to see what God shares with us about, about how he created us and how we died and how we're to live and die again and then be born again and then live and, and so on and so forth. It'll, it'll get better as we go. <laughs> Just try to lay a foundation here. Uh, and believe me, I wrestled with this for the last month, and, and, uh, and God was so faithful because every few days he'd drop a little word, a little kernel, a little something. And then even this latest Saturday, I sat with Debbie and, we're, and she's like, what are you going to talk about? I go, I'm, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but as I tried to explain it to her, the Spirit of God helped me to see this outline. And she said, that sounds good, go with that. So I said, that must be God. So I, <laughs> I ran with that. So here we are. Okay, so we're going to start with the life of man as God created us. And of course, to start there, we have to start in Genesis chapter 1. All of the, the, the best and greatest doctrines, in fact, all the real doctrines of the Bible start in Genesis. Uh, and Genesis is, of course, the beginnings. And uh, we see a lot of sowing and reaping in here and so forth and so on. But let's go to where God created man in Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse 26 and 27. And of course, we've gone over these scriptures under numerous, uh, numerous um, different kinds of topics, but it's good, bears repeating. So, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
So, so we see that God created man, and there's some certain words that I want to pick on in here because it, it reveals a lot about his heart, about his creation of mankind. And, and the first one is this, this idea that he made us in his image and in his likeness. And often when you read the scriptures, you, you can read the natural intent of what's said and base, get the basic understanding. And then oftentimes there's a second meaning which is deeper or more spiritual. Not always. And sometimes we spiritualize things we shouldn't. Um, but here clearly there will be. Um, but, but to get the idea that God created man in his image and in his likeness, what does it mean? Well, well first of all, in, in a basic expression, what it means is that God made us to be like his children. And, and this is a, a, a natural expression that's used in the Hebrew language, and you can see it used again, and we'll read it in Genesis chapter 1, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 5, in the first five verses. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Funny with those trees there, I can't read all the words on the corner, so I'll stick with my notes. <laughs> this is the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in, in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son, look at this, in his own likeness after his image. So here we see he named him Seth. And after he begot Seth, verse 4, in the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. But what I want to bring out here, of course, is that in the reference to Seth, he was in the image and likeness of Adam. So it's a, a, a natural expression that the son looks like the father. We would say today he's a chip off the old block, Right? Uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, those kinds of expressions that, that don't necessarily mean literally, but it's, it's the expression that says, Seth looked like Adam. And so that same Hebrew expression was used to describe how God made man in his image, in his likeness, so we, male and female, were made to be like his children. And of course, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, our Father. Right? So, so we know that this is God's intent, that we are made uh, like, like his children. And, and, and so that's the natural view of the verge, but let's, let's dig, dig a little bit deeper into what it means in the spirit realm. So, so in God's image, Adam and Eve looked like their creator. And when any other creature encountered them, they recognized God in them. So when any other creature, they, they, oh, look, God's in them. They recognized them uh, because they were in the image and likeness of God. Right, so you know, sometimes they'll say, "Oh, to my oldest son, you look like a U doll." They recognize that I'm, you know, part of me and Debbie is in him. Right, so so when they saw Adam and Eve, any other part of they saw God in in him, and uh, and and they were spirit beings, and this is really important to grasp. Adam and Eve were spirit beings; they had a soul, and they lived in the bodies that God gave them to live in. And all the creatures that knew Adam and Eve, they knew them after the spirit, not after the bodies that they walked around in. Because God is spirit, and they were made of the image of God, and so they could see that they were spirit beings. And the bodies that God gave them, were there, that's where the spirits lived while on the earth. 
But here's the most critical point. And that is that Adam and Eve also knew themselves after the spirit, not after the flesh. You know, we often get this impression that God took the mud and took the sin and he made this man and plopped him on the earth and and then he started to walk around. We think about Adam and Eve in bodies because that's how we think of ourselves today. But no, Adam and Eve, in the image of God, recognized themselves as spirit beings and happened to just tabernacle in these bodies as they moved about the Garden of Eden. They saw themselves as spirit, not after the flesh. The Bible says uh, at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, it says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they weren't ashamed. Why? Because they didn't look at their flesh. They didn't see themselves. They didn't care. They looked at themselves after the Spirit and in reflection and uh, as a representative of God. They were an image bearer of God on the earth. So that's really vital to understand how God intended us to be and how he started us off uh, in the garden. So that was in his image. Now, according to, they made, God made man in his image and according to his likeness. So what was his likeness? Well, well, we know that the light, who is the life of man, lived inside of them. This light this is the life, the Zoe kind of, the God kind of life. This life was in Adam and in Eve. So their likeness the, was, was their behavior, their, their, nat, their nature was like God's because the light of God was in them, right? And they, God is love. So Adam and Eve, right, they, they, they were loving, it wasn't anything, there was no hatred in them. They, they loved. You know, they had, they, um, they had joy. They were joyful, peaceful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. All of that was in them. Why? Because those are fruits of the Spirit who was in them. So when Adam and Eve walked about in the garden and they, they had to protect and keep it and, and tend to what was there and, and try the different trees, uh, they, they had these gifts, or the fruits rather, of the Spirit operating in them. So they were in the likeness of God. And here's a key factor. Adam and Eve were holy in their nature or by nature. They were sanctified, which means they were set apart. They were they were. Above all of the other creatures. Why? Because the Holy One was in them. So, when they, they, so that puts them above all of the other creatures on the earth. Sanctified them. Set them apart. When God created all the other animals, did it say he breathed in them the breath of life? No, only, only man received the Spirit of God, which made them holy. Uh, so, so they could be in the presence of a holy God. So though Adam and Eve were worthy of honor, they were worthy of respect because they were sons and daughters of the Most High. And in return, however, they also feared God. They feared their creator and they gave him honor and respect as their creator. So this this relationship of honoring and blessing and uh, supporting one another, uh, God and his children went on beautifully in the garden. So therefore, the Holy One, the Holy God, could dwell among the people he made because they also were holy. I'm spending time to elaborate on what man was like when God made him because this is where we started. 
this is where we began, because all of us, as you know, were in the seed of, a- of Adam, and uh, we all descended from him, and it was intended that God said to the man, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so we, as their offspring, should have been like this. It's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? It it seems a bit foreign to us, and it shouldn't, particularly those of us who are born again. But this this is what God had intended for us. This holy God could abide with them because God was in them. And this was symbolized uh, when God breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. Now here's an interesting element of how God made man. uh, And that is that we were created with an everlasting component. So you say, well, how how could this be? (laughs) You know, we know that we look at our bodies and they're they're on their way. Some more than others. Uh, not looking at anybody. <laughs> um, so, so, but we have an everlasting component. But, but, but let's look at how he made us. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. It says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So our body was formed from the dust of the earth. And the earth has a beginning and an end. Right? But our soul and our spirit were breathed into that body, and they came, that came from God. God has no beginning and no end. So our soul and our spirit lives forever because it came from God, who also lives forever, where these bodies will go away and we'll get new bodies when we get into heaven with him again. Uh, uh, after the resurrection. That's all good news, by the way. (laughs) So celebrate that. But that everlasting component we also have to recognize because the things of this earth that weigh us down are often regarding the temporary, the things of our body that aren't everlasting, the things that are going to ultimately fade away anyway. Uh, And rather we should be focused, as we read in Colossians the past few studies, to put our eyes on things above uh, and things where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So we have this everlasting component. But what we see also in this creation of man in Genesis chapter 1, 26, uh, 1, 26 and 27, we see not only were, was man made in his image and in his likeness, um, but, and not only was he made with these other attributes, he, he was also given dominion. This is the third part, an important element in the creation of man. So we often separate those two. Well, he made us, and then he gave us dominion. No, the creation of man, all of that was packed into two sentences. So he, we were made in his image and likeness and given dominion. Why? Because God has dominion. So if God has dominion, we have dominion. And so, so God, in his sovereignty over all things, he has dominion over all of his creation. He gave Adam and Eve dominion or authority over all the earth. So we can see now that, that Adam and Eve are representing God on the earth. They're his image bearers on the earth. And they're his authority on the earth. So, so the beginnings of a royal priesthood and a holy nation are here in the garden. And they're kings and priests over the earth, subject to and serving their God. You see all that, all packed into that one, two sentences there? There's a lot in there. Not just that they were his children, but all of these spiritual elements that go along with that in building up this story. So life in the Garden of Eden 
Adam and Eve, spirit beings, filled with the light of the life of God, living in the presence of the living God, who's also spirit, abiding or tabernacling, giving that sense of, of temporariness in their bodies, in their natural bodies on earth, which is their natural uh, habitat, their domain. They're living there without sin, fully obedient to God. They're image bearers of God on the earth, uh, in the presence of and with free access to the tree of life, and in the presence of but restricted from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you think about it, if you can gather in your head all those things that I just described, how much does that sound like the Son of God, Jesus, when he was in his earthly body? Filled with the Spirit, no sin, fully obedient to God, following after the fruits of the Spirit. Tree of life was his, of course, never touching or disobeying uh, and partaking of the sins of the world. So the first Adam looked an awful lot like the second Adam, I guess is my point, right? And isn't that what the Bible says? So, so we were created a lot like, like Christ. One major difference being we were made, Christ was begotten. So, so don't forget that, but that's another message. A Christmas message, it sounds like, yeah. Um, so, so this is the life of God uh, that God intended for Adam and Eve and for all of those who would follow after them, which would be for you and for me. So this is the beginning. This is life, right? So we're starting with the concept of life. Everybody good with this? Does it make sense? Any questions? All right. Good. Because <laughs> I don't know if I have the answers. <laughs> but God does, and we can trust that he would deliver them. Okay, so, so what, is the, what is death? What is the, let's talk about the first death of man. The first death of man uh, well, God pronounces the consequences, right, of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Let's look at that. God said, the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So, so the consequences are laid out here in a couple of ways. The first thing we see is that in the day uh, that you eat of it. So as soon as you eat that, you're going to die. It's not like, well, if you eat it, the death process starts. No, in the day that you eat of it, God said, you, you, you will die. But he said not only, the, the English says, in the day of you eat of it, you, will, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. But what's interesting is in the Hebrew, the word surely isn't there. But in its place is the word die. So the Hebrew, uh, the word, it's Strong's H4191, if you guys are Strong's people. But for those of you not, I'll tell you quickly, Strong's uh, is a was a giant book. Now you can get it online for free. It's still a giant book. <laughs> but basically every word in the King James Bible... Um, that came from the original Hebrew text or the Aramaic or the Greek text, wherever the original language was, the uh, Strong's then took the literal from the Hebrew and then assigned it to the English. 
So anytime you want to understand from the English, what the original Hebrew word was, you can look at Strong's Concordance and see the definition of that meaning, the Hebrew word that was meant there. And, and by and large, the translators in English got it right. I mean, the Holy Spirit was involved with that. So, so there's, no, there's no doubt that we can trust in the English and what it says. It's, it's accurate. Okay, so don't worry about that. But if you want a little more depth of understanding, you can go back and look at the original language without having to have taken years of Hebrew school. I know Pastor Ray said he was working on his Hebrew uh, in his message on Sunday with the... <laughs> um, but so anyway, the Hebrew word that Strong's... Uh, there's an H in front of it implying... Hebrew, and if you get to the New Testament, there's a Greek in front of it, and then it has a number. And then it tells you everywhere where those words are used in, in their original language. So you can see how else the Spirit of God used those words throughout his, his scriptures. So it's an exciting way to start. I like it anyway, so maybe I'm just going off on a tangent here, but I enjoy it. Um, so anyway, this word, uh, die, in the day of you, you surely die. This word is pronounced muth. Uh, which means to die. And, um, but the word surely is not there. And instead, what it says, in the day you eat of it, you die, die. So the word surely is, is actually the word muth, the Hebrew word muth. So it says, in the day that you eat of it, you die, die. So, so what we're seeing is that this is, this, there's some meaning in here, right? So first of all, we know uh, that this, or I learned after studying this, I should say, like the expression in the image of likeness of, has a sort of a natural common use to it, so does this double use uh, of, of a word. You, we see in, in Jesus' speeches all the time, verily, verily, truly, truly. Right? He's emphasizing what he's trying to say. He's putting an emphasis on it. So in the Hebrew expression, it doesn't really mean anything more than, look, you, sh- you sh- surely die, which is how the English translators did it, which is, the, is, which is a way of emphasizing you're going to die. Right? But the Hebrew says die, die, right? a double use of die. But it's translated surely die over almost 50 times in the Old Testament. And the reason I say that is because it's, it is a common expression. I'll give you an example. Often in times... Uh, describing the punishment that fits the crime uh, of the different laws that we read about in the Old Testament. Um, our English language was, so you will surely die, you will surely be put to death, but the Hebrew just has the two words. Let's look at Exodus 21.12, just so you can see this. I just want you to see it. Um, this says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But in the Hebrew, what it, what it says is, um, He who strikes a man so that he dies die, die. So, in fact, that last word, he who strikes a man so that he dies, that's also muth. So it's he who strikes a man so that he dies, muth, muth, muth. Now, not talking about boo, winkle, muth. It's, <laughs> it's muth, which means die, die, die. Okay, so, so anyway, the point is this is a common way of saying, look, to be sure, if you strike someone so they die, you're going to die. It's the emphasis. It's just what the natural meaning is in the use of this word, double word, die, die, surely die. Um, so so we, can't, we don't have to make any more out of it than that. On the other hand, we do know that sometimes when we read Scripture, there's a deeper he, uh, a spiritual meaning. And, and it could imply that the consequence of eating the forbidden fruit means two deaths, right? So it could have that deeper spiritual meaning that we're going to talk about, which is that there are indeed two deaths uh, that are important to us. And we'll see the cycle of that as we go through this. So that's the consequence. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you 
in the day that you eat of it, immediately you will die. Uh, so they knew that. And in fact, when the devil came and tempted Eve, uh, he asked her, that, did God really say this? Uh, actually, let's look at it, Genesis 3, 4, and 5. Genesis 3, 4, and 5 says, Then the serpent said to the woman, oh, sorry, this is before that. She, she, he asked her, will you, did he say you really can't eat of all the trees? And she answered correctly, yeah, we can eat all the trees, except for this one. Uh, um, so, so she knew this. Adam knew it, obviously, because God told him directly, and she was in him at the time. But she knew this because he passed the word on to her, uh, so she, and she answered correctly. So uh, not literally correctly, but she answered spiritually. She had the right idea. <laughs> not going any further than that. But Genesis 3, 4, and 5 answered her. He said, then the, spirit, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, or you will not die, die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. So, God said in the day you eat of it, you will die, die. The Satan said, no, you won't die, die. So he blatantly and boldly contradicted the authority of God's word when he answered her concerning the curse of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what I found interesting in this study is that while he completely and oppositely opposed what God said would happen in terms of dying, the fruits or results of dying that he quoted were actually accurate. Um, so, so what he said was their eyes would be open, and we'll see in a few minutes that that is actually what happened. And he also said that they would be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I had always understood that God didn't know evil, right? But, but let's take a look at Genesis 3.22, same chapter, after God had pronounced all the different effects of the curses on Adam and on Eve and on Satan. Genesis 3.22 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So that's the verse. And so when I looked at that, I said, well, how, how is it that God can know evil? Well, God can know evil without having participated in it. God is omniscient. Of course, he knows everything, uh, first of all. But specifically, I mean, if you think about it, he saw Satan grow into this beautiful cherub of whom he was proud as one of his creatures. And then he saw pride grow into Satan and Satan rebel. God had nothing to do with participating in or being part of that evil, but he saw it for what it was. He knew it. He could see it, right? He could see a third of the angels follow after Satan when he had wanted them to stay in the worship team uh, in heaven with him. So, so God could see and know evil and not have touched it, not have participated in it, not have been an active with it. Does that make sense? So, so, so we're not saying, I mean, God is holy, he's righteous, he's true, he's just, all those things are accurate for sure, and therefore there can be no evil in him. 
And, and we know that as soon as evil was found in Satan, he was cast down to earth like lightning. So, so he despises evil. He can't stand evil. He understands the effect of evil. Uh, and so he detests it. And in fact, he's already judged everything that has evil in it or anyone who participates in it. But God knows what good and evil is. So, so this knowledge of good and evil uh, uh, from eating the, of the tree is not what caused man to die. Because uh, God had that knowledge, in a sense, right? With me? I'm not, don't throw stones at me or take me out and throw me over the hill. Um, I'm already over the hill. Uh, <laughs> so, so he knew, so, 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 so what Satan said was, look, you know, he knows, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we just read that God created man in his image and in his likeness, so they were already like God, right? Um, but God did not want man to experience evil or participate in it because he understood the judgment that would come from it. So him banning us from the tree of life, which we don't have time to really pull, in, pull that thread tonight, uh, was to keep us from staying in that state of experientially knowing evil because ultimately that would be judged. So, so if knowing good and evil is not what made us die, um, what was it that made us die? Let's talk about the first death. Genesis 3, 6 and 7. Ooh. Okay. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So the first thing we see, and the thing that caused them to die is, is disobedience. Adam chose to disobey. James describes it this way, James 1, 14 and 15. He said, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. We're talking about the first death of man. From that beautiful situation in the garden where God and man walked together, the first death, how did it start? Well, Eve was enticed through the temptation that was presented to her. And Adam, who was with her, allowed the temptation to conceive or take life, take on life in himself, resulting in action. So when he, she was enticed, he saw that desire took root in him and conceived and then resulted in action. And then Adam chose. He wasn't forced. He couldn't, he did say, but it wasn't right. The devil made me do it, right? Um, it, it was because he made the conscious decision to disobey God and eat of the fruit. So when he disobeyed, sin entered the world and with sin, death. So this is the first death. Paul talks about it at length in Romans, particularly chapters 5 through 7. We'll pick a couple verses, but we don't have time to pull it out in detail. Romans 5, 15 and 16. Um, I don't know if I have the right verses there. Uh, Nope, I do not. I'm going to read them to you, so don't worry, Sharon. Uh, Wrong titles. But this is Romans 5, 12. And it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Through one man, Adam, sin entered, and death through sin. And then death spread to all of us uh, because all have sinned. In Romans 6.16, 
See, we, have, we should have that one be right. Um, uh, yes, do you, you know, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Had Adam obeyed God, his obedience would have retained his righteousness or his right standing before God. And sin would not have entered, nor would death. However, since Adam disobeyed, he became a slave of sin. He lost his righteousness, no longer in right standing with God. And even worse, the dominion or authority that he had when he was created was no longer subject to God, but to Satan. It was a pretty big fall. I'm going to read you uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 3, which, which teases us out in another way. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he's speaking to the church now, the Christians, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Look at this. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now's work, now works what? In the sons of disobedience. So who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. And who are the sons of disobedience? The original disobedier, the disobeyer, <laughs> Adam, right? So, so the, he's talking about the descendants of Adam. And he's mentioning, look, you guys are Christians, but you all, uh, verse 3, all also once, we all conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, the soul. And we're by nature children of wrath, not children of God, just as the others. Okay, so I see that. We see that Adam blew it. He disobeyed. And, uh, but he's still alive. Where's the death? Where's the beef? Where's the death? I want to know about the death. Where's the death? Because God said, in that day, you will surely die. But instead, we see their eyes are open. They can see more than they could see before. And, and, and their understanding is expanded to know more about things than they did before. This sounds like progress to me. Doesn't it sound like they're getting better? They're getting more? Of course, that was the temptation that, that, that Satan presented uh, to, to Eve, and Adam was there. And, and actually, that, that, that's what happened. Uh, but they didn't die naturally. They were still breathing there in that day. Um, so, what, so what did happen? Let's look at it again, chapter 3 of Genesis 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed leaves, uh, fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So, so what did happen in this death, is that their eyes were opened. And, and, and what did they see? They saw that they were naked. What happened here is that suddenly they saw themselves after the flesh, no longer after the spirit. Suddenly they recognized that, oh, I, I, I don't see the spirit man I see that I'm naked, and I, and I don't like it. I'm ashamed. And, and so they, they cover themselves, and this covering is symbolic that they made fiddle leagues and covers. It's symbolic of the fact that the spirit being that they once were could see into the spirit realm and enjoy the presence of God. But through disobedience, the presence of God left them. 
They were separated. They were separated from the source of life, from the spiritual life that they were supposed to live. Now there's a veil, and we talked about this in the earlier messages on this topic, over their hearts that needed to be circumcised, but right now it's covering their hearts like the fig leaves were covering their bodies. They could no longer really see into the spirit realm. But what they could see was their flesh and how that made them emotionally feel, their souls. So now, that's the death, is that the spirit being is no longer walking in the spirit, still a spirit being, but now walking after the flesh. So the spirit of God, part and parcel with the breath of life that breathed into them, departed from them. And the light that was the life of man left and left them in spiritual darkness. God, who is holy and righteous, he, he cannot abide in an unholy place. And apart from righteousness of God, the righteousness of Adam and Eve began to erode into filthy rags. So this first death is the separated life from God in the void, a life void of the Spirit of God. Adam would live 930 years. So his body isn't the, isn't the death that we're talking about here. It's that separation from God. Eve, which means the mother of all living, ironically, she was dead when she had all her kids, dead spiritually. But she had the kids, and, and, uh, and we don't know how long she, she lived afterwards. But obviously, she didn't die in that day physically. Um, no, no, they died spiritually. And so we see in Genesis three twenty two through 24, uh, we'll read this again, um, that the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Live forever apart from God is what that's saying, which is not what God wanted. He wanted them to live forever with him uh, in the spirit realm. And so verse 23 said, Therefore the Lord God sent them out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east end of the garden of Eden, and flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So, so, so Adam and Eve were driven from or banished from the presence of God, symbolizing that spiritual separation that took place. Now, God could still supernaturally be among them. Physically, we see uh, you know, that he abided, abode with them in the tabernacle, that he came and put skins on them. Um, but he would not be one with them, spirit to spirit. They were separated from that. So, so, so now, uh, they're apart from God, having to manage the curses that come from being apart from God. And now, uh, they are awaiting what's called the second death. So let's look at that. This is really exciting, isn't it? <laughs> the second death. Now we're going to go to Revelation. So Genesis obviously being the book. Now we're going to go to Revelation in chapter 21. And again, we'll touch on this tonight and then probably maybe a little bit more uh, as we get into it again. Revelation 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, died. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, 
the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, and they shall no more pain for the former things have passed away. Now, what I just read is not where we left Adam and Eve, is it? They were apart from God. But he's saying in the end, this is the way he wants it to be. The way it was in the garden, in a sense. But much better, because it'll be the spirit realm, not the natural. Verse 5, Then he said, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Remember in the beginning, he made him in his image and his likeness to be his children. Verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we have the first death, which is separation from God, and then we have this second death, which is the eternal judgment, the wrath of God being poured out, poured out on all that was evil. That's the second death. The first death is described in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, where man is no longer living with God, but rather separated from God. He's living according to his flesh and his soul. This is what drives him. He, he, he can barely even recognize that there's a spirit. How many times have you talked to an unbeliever and they don't think we have a spirit? Oh yeah, I see your body and, you're, and you have emotions and a mind. That, okay, you want to call that your soul, that's cool, but... Spirit, little spirit, hocus pocus, right? Now, you get that kind of attitude, right, from the intellectually liberated, and uh, they're actually in bondage. Um, but, but, but no, no, that's how we are because that essence of the spirit has got a veil over us, and we, and we couldn't see it until God got a hold of us, until God worked his way into us, and we opened the door by faith to say, yes, okay, show me. And once we did that, we could begin to see, and as we asked Jesus to be our Lord, he revealed it all to us. So, so, but they're no longer in the garden children of God, but rather sons of disobedience and children of wrath, the scripture says. No longer servants of righteousness, but slaves of sin. No longer obedient to God, but subject to Satan. This is your neighbor. This is your family member, your co-worker. This is who you once were. So we as a church can't look down at the world in our spiritually enlightened state and go, what's the matter with you guys? Don't you know? Well, the answer is no, they don't. And neither did you until God got a hold of them. So it's important to recognize where you came from before you go and judge them. Take the log out of your own life. And then you can help get the spot out of theirs. So that's the first death. Now the second death described in Revelation, which is the end of the Bible. And it's also referenced elsewhere. But, it, but, but it's the lake of fire which was originally built and reserved for the devil and his angels. And, but because of the sons of the devil now, uh, the, those who are following after him 
the mankind who follow after the lifestyles that we just read, um, those actually anybody who's not reconciled back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, any of them, any, uh, any of them are, 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 are subject to the second death. Um, I find it interesting that the last of those behaviors is all liars, all liars. And I think, did I ever lie? I think I probably did uh, once, maybe. Oh, I just lied. <laughs> um, all liars. But what's interesting is that Jesus called, referred to Satan as the father of lies. So all liars are the children of the father of lies, Satan. So all of those children of, 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 of Satan who are subject to him, slaves of sin, they're destined for the second death. It's kind of sobering. But it's important to remember, which is why it's important to share the way out, which we'll talk about in the next message, which, of course, is Jesus. And, in fact, uh, we just had two fantastic messages on it. I mean, Pastor Michael talked about hungering and thirsting for spiritual, spiritual life, getting away from that fleshy life, putting it aside and hungering for those things of the Spirit. Uh, and this is where our appetite should be. And Pastor Ray talking about the anointed one and how who Jesus was, and now we are that anointed one. He's, we're, we're learning from the Spirit of God how we need to be representatives of him, God's image bearers on the earth, uh, so that we can bring others with us to avoid this second death, this lake of fire, which is there uh, for those who do not be reconciled back to God. But what's cool is between this book of Revelation and this book of Genesis, or Genesis and Revelation, the Bible is filled with God's mercy and his grace. So he lays out this plan of redemption through this whole book to help this reconcile us back to God because he doesn't want any of us swimming in the lake. Does that make sense? So that's what this faith is all about. That's why we come together and study this word so that we don't go to that second death. We're born into the first death, not by choice. But now, because of God's mercy and his grace, we have a choice to avoid the second death. And that's our job is to live that out and present that to others so that everyone else can avoid that as well and be reconciled back to God. Now, let me give you two more scriptures and then I'm going to give you where we're going next. Uh, Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, this is the, uh, from the letters that, uh, that Jesus is writing through John to the churches, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, Genesis 2, or Revelation 2, 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. There it is, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, no longer banned to him who overcomes. And in, in Revelation 2, 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, shall not be hurt by the second death. So there's an overcoming that we have to have, which means that, and we'll talk about it more next time, we, we'll see that we do still need to die to that person in which we were born into who's focused on the flesh and the soul so that we can be born again and live unto God, a spirit being not driven by our flesh, and that what we have to overcome is the battle between the two. Uh, and then we won't be hurt by the second death because God's blood will, will save us. Okay. That was a lot. 
I hope, uh, I hope it helped you understand what life should be, what life became and how it became that way, and what is going to be for everlasting if we don't become like Christ. It's important, not just for us, but for those who we're going to bring with us. Sobering, 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 but scriptural and true. Father, thank you for your word, for your spirit who clarifies these truths to us, for your helping us to understand. Help us to realize the danger that we were in before Christ. Help us to understand that we had already died and been separated from you. And that the only thing that remained is judgment, save for your mercy and grace. But Lord, as we meditate on your salvation, on your blood, on your, on your death, burial, and resurrection, on your reconciling us back to you, God, whew, that should bring such joy to our hearts that you would do that for us so that we could live with you forever and not have the eternal burnings of the lake of fire. Let these truths sink deep within our hearts, stir us to action, to serve you with gladness and singleness of heart, to cast off the desire and the yearning of the flesh, that we can be more like you tomorrow than we were today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now, as I said in the beginning, for any of you who have not received Jesus as your Lord and you want to talk to, to me or one of the pastors more about that, come down here or give a call to the church tomorrow. This is the step to avoid the lake of fire. It's the first step, but the most important one. So it's really vital that you don't pass into the second death where there will be no, no more chances. Um, so, so make that decision to have Jesus as your Lord. Secondly, uh, thank you for those of you who continue to faithfully give with your tithes and offerings. Um, We encourage you to give even more generously, uh, especially in this time of year when when Christ came into the earth as a baby. Uh, We need to be mindful of that as we give generously to one another and to the the church. Don't forget the building fund. It's really important uh, that we have the resources necessary to, to make this a place of splendor that would uh, rightfully represent God uh, in the physical as we worship him in the spirit. And thank you all for coming out tonight and being a part, and, and uh, we'll see you Sunday. Amen.